morning, everyone. We welcome all our Facebook and media streamers. We welcome Pastor, if you are watching. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. And today the message is, who am I? Just it up there, yes. Who am I? And it's going to be based on Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. I'm going to read it. But let me pray first. Father, I thank you for the honor and the privilege of being, oh God, your mouth in this morning. And Father, my prayer is simple, oh God, like in the book of Acts. Lord, I pray, Father, that you will anoint the Jesus in me with the power of the Holy Ghost, oh God. And I'm asking, Father, that you minister to your people today. I'm asking, Father, for ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I thank you because no one here present is here by coincidence, but it's here because you brought them. And for this, we give you honor and glory and praise. And I thank you in advance because I know that I know you hear my prayers. In the name of Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God, amen. So who am I? And this is Luke. And I just need a drink of water. I'm very thirsty. And it goes, the scripture goes like this. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, meaning Jesus. And he, sent, and he went to the Pharisee's home and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flank, flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed him, his feet, and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, look at the scorn of a religious man. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Um, just a side note, notice that he does, he's not alarmed that the woman is in his house. He's more alarmed that Jesus doesn't know the woman. I want you to think about that. Don't you? He's not alarmed. Uh, if someone just come into your house and a, a, a poor rep, rep, reputation and he's not alarmed, Maybe she's been there before. So it says here, and Jesus answered because he heard his thoughts. It's old versions and of, of the word of God that says, and Jesus perceiving their thoughts and Jesus reading their thoughts. See, the devil cannot read your thoughts. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Only God can. So he heard his thoughts and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. I love the Lord. So he said, teacher, say it. Imagine, he's being disrespectful. Teacher, say it. It's warning him. Pastor, say it. Deacon, say it. Then, no, that's what is really going on. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, one old 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who he forgave the more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. 
when he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I enter your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman who has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, again, they're talking among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? It's like saying, how dare he? How dare he? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay, who am I? The question of the century. The question we ask ourselves from time to time is very healthy to analyze, to review our thoughts, our conduct, the way our beliefs and how we interact with people. Who am I? Who are you in this narrative? And it's very important to take time and allow the Lord to bring conviction and allow the Lord to bring transformation. Allow the Lord to see those places that we need adjustment that no one else knows, but he does. So who am I and who are we? So I'm gonna ask you, who are you in this narrative? Who are you in the body of Christ? Who are you in the church? Who are you at home? Who are you when you interact with people? Because it's extremely important. But in order to understand the narrative, we need to understand who these characters are. And there's three of them. Again, we have three characters, three key characters in this narrative. And they each play a major role. They each have a lesson and they each have a purpose. They each have something to contribute because you see the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the living God and he doesn't waste any opportunity and he doesn't waste any time. So he's using three key characters and each of them are very different. So let's, let's, I did a little synopsis of who these characters are. The key characters, is it up? Who am I? So first we have the host. The invited guest and the invited and the uninvited guest right we have so the name of the host is Simon and in Hebrew Simon means to listen or to hear you know it would behoove all of us to look up our names to see what our names mean and in, in the Jewish culture the name defined the person and the character it wasn't the other way around so for example my name is Ruth and my name means faithful and loyal friend. My husband's name is Hector, it's Greek, but he means strong in character, and truly is. He's very strong in character, in a very good way. Now we have Jesus, the invited guest, who is the savior of the world. He is the one that will save the world from his sin, or sin, so he's the savior. And then we have the nameless woman. Now this is done purposely, and we're gonna see as the word goes forward that this is actually a covering of love and protection for the woman. And so here we have, we have Simon, we have Jesus, and we have the nameless woman. Now Simon was a Pharisee, that means he was a rabbi. 
That means that he was part of the ruling Jewish council, which is called the Sanhedrin. That means that he knew the law. That means that he was ample and ready because he knew Jewish law, and he was a very religious man. Religion can get you into trouble. It can get you into real trouble. But then we have Jesus. Just a little synopsis for Jesus, and this makes me cry. The Son of God, the Son of Man, the, he is the Messiah, the Christo in Greek, the anointed one sitting at the table. That's amazing, who's sitting at the table. Then we have the nameless woman. She has a bad reputation, most likely a prostitute, and she's considered a sinner. But also in those days, women, if they had several marriages, they were considered a bad reputation. Not the man, though, but the woman. So she had, it's like the woman at the well who's nameless. She had six husbands. So automatically the woman was at fault here. But here, this nameless woman is uh, most likely a very poor reputation, but really she is like all of us before we met Christ, a sinner. And guess who gets to anoint the anointed one? Amazing. Amazing. So here we have the arrogant, that's what religion does, the humble, and the repented. The woman was there because she repented. She understood the depth of her sin. Then we have the unwelcoming, the gracious, and the grateful. You know what makes a great um, worship service? We, when we understand the depth of gratitude we owe Jesus. When we understand where he took us from. When we understand what he did for us on the cross. When we understand that we were once lost and that we were heading to hell. When we, when we understand that our life was going nowhere really fast. In fact, it was going to hell. But then we come to Jesus and no one can contain your worship. So here it goes. The unmerciful. That's what religion does. It becomes unmerciful. The merciful. The recipient of mercy, and if you are a recipient of mercy, give the Lord a great amen. And then we're going to come to my three points. The accuser, the forgiver, and the forgiven. The accuser, the forgiver, and the forgiven. This is such a great portrait of the cross. What a great illustration of the cross. We have the accuser on one side of Jesus, and we have the forgiven on the other. And you and I will stand either one side of the cross or the other. Because the accused right in the core, in the center, because both people were there because of Jesus. And we're here today because of Jesus. We're here today because of the Son of God. We're here today because we tasted what is good, and we live, now we can say to other people who he is. So this is a great illustration, the portrait of the cross. So let's begin. Who am I? And in order to be an accuser, there has to be one that is what? Accused. Right? Got it up there? Accused. All right? And there, so we have the accuser, the dispenser of mercy, and the recipient of forgiveness. Those are the three points. So we're going to start with the accuser. And the accuser needs to accuse someone. How many people here have been accused? So an accuser is a person who claimed that someone has done something morally wrong, illegally wrong, religiously wrong. It's unkind. Okay? And the charges can be right 
and the charges can be false, but you've been accused. So how did Simon accuse Jesus? Well, first of all, his action accused him. His action that when Jesus came into his house, you see, it was customary in the Jewish home that when a traveler or a visitor came to your house, you would have either the youngest child or you would have a slave or you would have a servant to wash the feet of your guest, to anoint the guest, to have water of the guest. But you see, Simon had a problem. Simon thought he was greater than Jesus. And his action determined the way he treated Jesus. His action told him or told Jesus what he really felt about Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. The way you see Jesus, the way you see the Lord, is the way we're going to treat one another. It's telling. The way we treat one another is how we see Jesus. So then, of course, he sees Jesus less than and the woman even worse. And the woman even worse. So then Jesus, he accused them of not being a true prophet. People accuse people all the time. I know they accuse us, right, honey? You're not real pastors. You're not real prophets. You're not real teachers. So you see, Jesus didn't say, well, look, look, Simon, let's take this out on the street. You have something against me? Let's go out there. Let's go rumble. Let's make this right. Right? Because he knew that he thought little of Jesus. But Jesus, the greatest storyteller that ever lived, you want to do something effective, use storytelling. Use a parable. So Jesus said, you know, Simon, I would like to tell you a story. He never told Simon that he was disrespected. He never told Simon, I hear your thoughts. He never told Simon, I know what you're saying. He never told Simon that. So he gives him a story. And in this story, there's another three people in it. There is two debtors and the one that they owe the debt. So here, both of them, it doesn't matter if you owe $5. If you don't have $5, you don't have $5. So if you, it doesn't matter if you owe $500. If you don't owe $500, you don't have it, you still, you're still in the same lurch because you don't have the money. And so he tells this story and he says, well, Simon, which of these two men went away more grateful? And so Simon judged correctly. He said, of course, the one that owed more will love more. But you see, Simon was a sinner. He just didn't recognize that he was. He felt superior than the woman. He felt superior than the people outside. And if we're not careful, the church can become Pharisees to the world. The church can become Pharisees to one another. Because you see, the church is supposed to resemble Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we begin to act like Simon. And we begin to say, we know, we have, we, we're of this position, we have this, we have these degrees. We have, not that all those things are not bad, but I'm saying if we determine our dependency on those things, we're far off from God. We're far from God. And so he judged right because he realized, well, the one that loved more. So when you see someone that really knows her Jesus or his Jesus, there's a lot of emotion. Now, evidently, she had to meet Jesus somehow. I don't think this was the first time she heard Jesus, but she heard about him. And I love this because the Bible says, you know, the accuser of the brethren. 
It says in Revelation 12:10, finally, then a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before God day and night has been cast down. Finally, it's coming a day. Because you see, the devil accuses each and every one of us to the throne of God every day, every single day. He accuses us and he's relentless, but he doesn't stop there. Have you ever had a thought about a someone, a person hasn't done a thing to you and you just don't like that person? It comes from an accusation of the enemy. So what happened is he accuses us to the Father and it doesn't stop there. He accuses us to one another, to one another. So we have to be careful with our thoughts we have to be careful what we're saying. We have to be careful what we're doing because eventually what you do, what you say will come to the person's ears. Even if the person never confronts you, that person knows exactly what you have said. So we have to be careful. Are we accusers in the body of Christ? Because if we are, we are aligning ourselves with the enemy himself, the accuser of the brethren. And I love Romans chapter 8, verse 33. It's not up there, but it says, Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who's justified. I love that. Because you see, she was guilty as charge. You were guilty, and so was I. The charges were right. They weren't false. But who justified her? Jesus. Who selected her? With another word for elect. Jesus. Who gave her another opportunity? Jesus. Who gave her another chance? Jesus. Because now she belongs to the elect like you and I. And all of us in this room have been in a place of accusation. Either we're the accuser or we've been accused. Now who are, who are I, right? So then the second point, the dispenser of mercy. And mercy only flows from the cross. I didn't want to put a picture of anyone, of a man, because really, mercy flows from the cross. So what is mercy? It's compassionate forgiveness shown towards someone whom it's within one's power to punish or harm. Jesus was able to dispense mercy because he was able to do so. And because of his mercy, you and I sit here this morning. Because of his mercy, you and I have enjoyed worship. Because of his mercy, we have not been struck down. You see, we like to compare and say our sin is not as great, like the Pharisee. We like to compare, well, I've never been there. Oh, I've never been there. But have you gossiped? Have you lied? Have you, have you talked about people behind their backs? Have you destroyed some relationships? Have you even destroyed other people's friendship? And so here, we all stand in the need of great mercy. And the thing about mercy is new each and every morning. It says in Lamentation, his mercies are new each and every morning. It's not because we exhaust them the day before. It's because God is a fresh God. God likes freshness. He likes newness. He likes things that are brand new. I thank God that he doesn't give leftover. I know growing up, and you're the second child. Um, well, you're the first, but I was the second child. And everything my sister got, I got. And I didn't buy anything new. But Jesus, 
It's brand new in its mercy. It's not someone's hand-me-down mercy. It's not someone's, it's not Hector's mercy. It's not Chanti's mercy. It's my mercy because it's brand new for you and for me. I'm going to tell you something. Mercy is part of the spiritual gifts. That's Romans chapter 8, chapter 12, verse 8. Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Mercy is part of the gift. We get stuck in speaking in tongues, in prophesying, but go beyond that. Go back to the book of Romans. It's the gift of leadership, the gift of exhortation, the gift of teaching. And if you give mercy, give it with cheerfulness. And we, when we walk in Christ, when we know Jesus, when we know what we've done, we will operate from the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, I know what I did, and I'm going to bestow mercy. I know that they're guilty, but I'm going to bestow mercy. And you know what happens? A great transformation, because what you have, you give to others. But you cannot give what you don't have. So if you think that you don't deserve mercy, or better yet, or not need mercy, because that's what the religious people do, then you won't give mercy. You won't become that dispenser of mercy, like Jesus Christ. It's like I remember walking into the, and I was thirsty through those doors, and Pastor Carlos tells me, no, drink from that water, because it's delicious. And when I drank from that water, it truly was delicious. But imagine if someone um, puts salt in that water, and you're thirsty, and, and you drink salty water. It's not delicious anymore. Oh, that's how mercy is. When we dispense mercy, think of yourself as that water dispenser. We're giving a water to someone that needs it. Because once I needed mercy, in fact, I need mercy every single day. Ask my husband. I need mercy every single day, every single day. And it says here, therefore, be merciful as your father who is merciful. So he's saying, I wonder if the Pharisee even knew God. We can have spent a lifetime in church and still not know the Lord. And that is a travesty. That's a travesty to come to church week after week and not know God or not apply what you hear. It's a travesty. It's robbing the soul of the living God. And he said, therefore, be merciful, just as your father also is merciful. So if you, if God is your father, if he is your Abba, and he is my father, and he is my Abba, I become mercy. I begin, I'm able to be merciful, because blessed are the merciful, because they will receive mercy. It is an indication how close you walk with Jesus, truly. It's an indication how your walk with the Lord is. It's an indication. It doesn't say it's going to be easy. It doesn't say it's going to be a fun day in the park. It just says if you love me and you trust me, you will grow into the image of Jesus Christ. We will never be Christ here totally on this earth, on this side of heaven. But every day we should grow closer and closer into the image of Jesus Christ. We should be more like Christ. I should be able to look back a year ago and go, whoa, oh, what a difference in my life. What a change he made in my, in my life. And so, through God's mercies, we're not consumed because it's a passion, fail not. I, and, and so, when she walks in, and there she is, sitting with the Pharisee, sitting with the Son of God himself, sitting with the arrogant, and sitting with the humble, sitting with the rabbi, and sitting with the Messiah, sitting with the accuser, and she knows she was accused, and sitting with the one that can forgive her. All that didn't stop him from dispensing mercy. So, whoever's accused you, be a dispenser of mercy. 
And everyone in the shout of my voice, all of us have been an accuser or been accused. So let's cover one another with mercy. And I love this one. Think about what he says in Psalms 51, 1b. This is what after, after David fell. After David fell. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your love and kindness, not according to the world, not according to the standard of the government, not according to what CNN, ABC, and all those other C's say, not according to everyone that buys and, 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 and publish a book, but according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercy, he does something that you and I cannot do for ourselves or for He blot out my transgression. He pressed the delete button. But you see, I learned something. Every IT person that's here can testify to that. You can delete that in your, in your computer, but somewhere out there, those emails are still floating. Somewhere out there, they can exhume emails. I said, wow, you, I know you can exhume a dead body, but they can actually exhume emails. So be careful what you publish and be careful what you write because and you think you're deleting it. It only deleted from your phone. But somewhere out there, there's something, that's, there, there is a computer actually recording for forever what we wrote. But you see with Jesus, he blot out my transgression. He deleted it forever. He doesn't see me the way I was. He doesn't see me the way I really am. He sees me like Jesus Christ. And for that, I'm grateful. And so if you have been those that have been blotted out of your transgression, give God applause. Because we have received mercy. Ah, we come to my favorite, favorite person after Jesus. It's the recipient of forgiveness. Do we see her up there? Okay. The recipient of forgiveness. There's a nameless woman, and throughout scripture, when we study the word of God, there's a lot of nameless people, and there's a reason for that. You see, when the Pharisees saw her, he didn't even have the, he probably did, and Luke just didn't write her name down. Um, he scorned the woman and he didn't even treat her like a person. He didn't treat her like human. He treated her like trash. And so when she walks in, my belief is, it said the scripture clearly said when she heard that Jesus was at Simon's Pharisee's house, she went there uninvited unwelcome by the Pharisee and when she enters she enters behind Jesus and the reason she be, she's not she's nameless is because Jesus no longer wants her to be identified by her sin maybe you were an addict maybe you cheated maybe whatever that maybe is in your life and Jesus doesn't want us to be identified as such. In fact, Jesus never calls a sinner. After you come to the cross, he doesn't call a person that's truly repentant and wants to live a, uh, a holy life. He doesn't call them sinners anymore. He's called us saints. Now, are we saints that sin? Absolutely. That's what we have First John chapter, chapter 1. See, you remember Rihanna? She's up there. Okay, we, we, it, it says there that if you sin, meaning that we are going to battle sin to the day we go to heaven. We're in this, in this flesh, 
And what changes is the inner man. So we're going to battle sin. And there's going to be a time we may fall to temptation. And there's going to be a time a thought is not right. And a word is not right. And a treatment is not right. And a facial expression isn't right. But then we have what 1 John says. We have an advocate in Jesus Christ. We have a lawyer, a defender. That when the enemy accuses um, Pastor Carpio, Pastor Carpio, Jesus steps right in and says, Oh no, I'm here to defend Robert Carpio because I, he, I died on the cross for him and he's been washed in my blood. Father, look, he's covered in my blood. And so he has been, the, um, he's free from the charge. And he does that with each and every one of us. So you're not an addict. And you're not loose. And you're not a sinner. The Bible says that I am holy. The Bible says, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Bible said, I'm the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The Bible says, I am the child of God. The Bible said, I'm the friend of Christ. The Bible said, I'm the beloved. The Bible said, I'm the apple of his eye. The Bible says, I'm redeemed. The Bible says, I'm a royal priesthood. The Bible says that, that I, I am that branch attached to the vine. That's what the Bible says. Walk in that true identity. You see, for almost a year, I didn't work. It was a great year, right? Got paid for not working. But I, 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 did, I, I did other things, because I got closer to a lot of other people. And what I used to do, I no longer did. But you see, if your identity is in what you do, you're gonna be devastated the day you're not able to do it anymore. If you lose a job, if you lose your mind, if you lose your, your health, if you lose your whatever it is, and you're counting on that to be your identity, you're going to be devastated. We go to school, and we are professionals, but that is what you went to school for. That is not who you are. You are the child of the living God. You're heir and co-heir of Jesus Christ. At this moment, at this moment by faith, it teaches us in Romans, we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ by faith. So you have to choose which identity you're going to be. I've decided to choose who I am in Christ. Who I am in Christ. And that's why she remains sinless. Now Jesus forgave her sin. And it's no longer identified her, uh, by the sin. So she's full of gratitude. And her worship was expensive. Because her sin was great. And the greater one can only forgive our sin and that's why when people come to worship they were there's some people up here that really bless me they all bless me there's there's one particular person she comes up here and she's dancing all over the place because she knows what God did she knows what God did uh, there's other people that will tell you a testimony as they're worshiping God because they know what God did and so when you her worship was extravagant it was lavish it was all that she had and she anointed the body of Christ how amazing is that how amazing is that it says it says oh my god she's anointing the untouchable she's anointing a man She's anointing a rabbi. How dare she? Oh, but she was anointing the one that was merciful. She was anointing the one that gave her freedom. She was anointing the one that removed the weight of sin. Because everyone in this room, at one time or another, you probably had a weight of sin, a weight of guilt, a weight of why did I say that? Why did I do that? Oh, if I can turn the clock back. But we can't. 
And this is where we cry out for mercy and God gives mercy. And that's why her, 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 her worship was extravagant. She anointed Christ's body. And this is amazing because I want you to pay attention to this church because it came to me in prayer. It came to me in prayer. When she, she anointed the body of Christ, she kissed his feet and she, she washed his feet with her tears and she kissed her feet and dried them with her hair. That meant she was submitting to him and to her authority, to his authority. And we're having a problem in the modern day church. We don't like submitting to the Lord. That was a vow. That was a clear illustration of someone, Lord, I'm submitted to you and to your authority. Let me tell you, I'm up here, but my heart and my life is bowed down to Jesus. And when she did that, that's what that meant. That's why he was so irate and so angry and so frustrated. How dare she? Because he wasn't submitting to the authority of the living God. And we have to be careful. I know this is a bad word for 2022. It's the S word, especially marriage. Submission. See, the Bible says that the, the husband is to love the wife the way Christ loved the wife, the church. What did he do? He gave his blood. He gave his, he calls us the wife to submit to our husband. So we submit because he loved God. And because he loved God, he'll treat me with love and care. But we're having a problem in the church. We're having a problem in the church at large. People don't want to submit. Look what the chaos we have in the city. You know, people don't, don't want to stop at traffic lights. People want to wear what they want to wear. It, it's, just, it's just beyond the chaos. It's like all hell has been let loose. Let loose. But if you want to succeed in Christ, we need to submit to one another and honor God as we do it. Honor God as we do it. So when she anointed the body of Christ, when we begin to pray, when we begin to worship, and I know um, someone told me, your voice is very distinct. And I go, no, I know it's loud. I have a lot to be grateful. A lot to be grateful to Jesus. A lot. A lot to be grateful to Jesus. But when we begin to anoint, when Pastor Kinsley begins to play, you know what he's doing, Pastor? You're anointing me. And because you're anointing me, I open my mouth and I anoint you. So when we begin to pray for one another, and we begin to praise the Lord with each other, you begin to anoint me and I begin to anoint you. And I know today we, we say a lot community and about it's nice to have community, but we're losing the concept that we're the body of Christ. We're losing, the, she anointed the body and you and I are the living body of Christ. So when Pastor George begins to pray, he anoints me. And then in my response is an amen, I anoint him. When my husband begins to love me, in his response, I love him back. That's anointing the body of Christ. Just like that, that nameless sinful woman. She had the honor to anoint the Lord. So in our worship, we anoint one another. Isn't that amazing? So her worship was extravagant, and he didn't like it because it was extravagant. Oh, she knew what Jesus had done for her. 
She knew she couldn't touch a rabbi. She knew she wasn't welcome there. She knew her lifestyle. She knew the dirty parts, and she knew the parts that people knew and the parts that they didn't know. Because I'm going to say, like my grandmother used to tell me, mira, la gente habla lo que saben y lo que no saben también. You know, they, you know people, people just exaggerate. But she knew from the depths of her heart what Jesus had done. And that's why she came from behind. And she bowed down. And she kissed. When was the last time we kissed Jesus' feet? When was the last time we cry in a worship service because we're broken? And I cry a lot. I remember Pastor Kinsley said, don't cry, Ruth, don't cry. But it says that God had done so much in my life. I have to cry because it's just a rejoicing. And it's, it's anointing the body. It's anointing the body. And I use him a lot because he anoints me a lot. Pastor and Abby, because they're anointing. So here we are. So who are you? We're the, so we're the recipient of forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't clean us a little bit. It's like we buy those cheap detergents and you gotta just throw, you gotta put the wash right in and buy the good detergent because it leaves everything dirty. It does, it does. It just, it just leaves, it's horrible, it's horrible. They make you itch, they make you, it's horrible, it's, it's smelly, anyway. That's how sin is. You got the picture. It's a stench. And in the body of Christ, it becomes a stench. But you know the promise here is, he'll cleanse us. I can't clean you. No pastor in this house can either. Jesus can. The blood of Jesus can. And the, the, what's amazing about the blood is still active. Because when you take human blood, in a matter of time, it evaporates, it gets dry, and it stench. See, he was human blood. That was God's blood. And God's blood is still reproducing. Just like our blood every single day forms new blood cells. It has to also be dead. New blood cells. New blood cells, new blood cells. The, God, the, the blood of Jesus is God's blood. It's on the altar of the throne room of mercy and grace. It's on that altar. And every single day when the accuser comes and reminds you, you failed at that marriage. You failed at that course. You failed in that relationship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, you know, there's people like that, right? Mm -hmm, Pastor, I'm not going to say that, but mira, mm -hmm, you know. You, know you, get those, you get those two people, right? You get, you get me, you get me. The blood of Jesus comes and covers you and washes you. No matter what we did, and no matter what we did, we gone to prison, Pastor George, my husband, and we come Tammy, Pastor Renee, and we've had the privilege of seeing people, Ada and, and Farrell, we've seen people that, that, that were down dirty, right Pastor, um, um, you know yourself, yeah. <laughs> Pastor, Pastor Gill. And, they, and they're condemned to die. Some of them are never going to come out. That's the truth. They're never going to come out. Some of them, they were guilty as their charge, but they've met Jesus in prison. And when you walk into those doors, and we went through a lot, let me tell you, there were lockdowns, shutdowns, there were gangs that, 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 were, that were acting up. When we would leave the prison, we would see ambulances, we would see blood, we would see CEOs exhausted, we see gas, and nothing would ever happen to us. To God be the glory. Now, we have no idea how many people there met the gospel, met the real Jesus, but we know what the Bible says. 
that heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word will never pass away. And there's people there that are guilty as charged, but they stand before heaven clean as though they never had sinned. But it's unfortunate they have to pay humanly what they've done. And the same goes for us. You know, I know what I've done, but he's cleansed me. And because I'm washed, I operate in that confidence. But if you're weighed down in sin, if you're weighed down of if and could have and should have, if you're weighed down in the past, if you're weighed down because, oh my God, people find out, big deal if it's been washed in the blood of Jesus. He doesn't see it anymore. And so when you walk in that, and what he's done for you, you walk in confidence because you're washed. And you, you know what happens to the repentant person? Because he clearly tells her at the end, sin no more. And that's very key. Sin no more. You want the blessing of God? Sin no more. They, they have prostituted grace. In the, the Western church have prostituted grace. Grace is the ability for us not to sin. Grace is, is the ability, the power from God that we can do things for the Lord. Grace is not license for us to sin. Grace is the opposite. Oh Lord, oh I'm tempted but give me grace. And if you, he, you cry out, he will give you grace. And if you know, if you're in a car and you need to run out, if the, the driver is the one they're tempted with, you, you, this, this pastor a long time ago told us this, right Hector? He goes, well if he's in the passenger car inside and you're, you're in the driver's side and you're in the passenger side, well you open the door and run one way and you open the other door and run the opposite way and that's how you flee temptation. Because when you want to praise God, when you want to honor him in all that you do because you recognize what he's done, you want to live a holy life. But we can only do that with the power of the Holy Spirit in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So how we, we were brought back by the blood of Jesus. We were brought back, we were on our way, we were lost, we were circling about. We can be in church, we can be in the world, we can be dancing in a discotheque, but God brought us back. His Holy Spirit spoke to us and drew us to the Father because we wouldn't come by ourselves. There were people probably that we have no idea that were praying and they drew us. That Holy Spirit drew us back to the Father. So my question, it's going, we're going to circle back to the beginning. Who am I? Who am I? She's the forgiven. And forgiveness can only come through the cross. Forgiveness can only come through a heart that's repentant. Forgiveness can only come to one that acknowledges, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. And who am I? Who am I in the body of Christ? I am the accuser of the brethren. I need you to think about that. Are you accusing your sister and your brother, thinking God isn't listening? But he is. He is. He is. Are we merciful with one another? Are we dispenser of mercy? The Bible says that he keeps no record of wrong, right? That love covers a multitude of sin. That's part B of that verse. Part A, it says, for those that confess their sin. So it has to be a confession of sin first in order for God to cover the multitude of sin. Because then that's just plain enabling people to continue to sin. But God wants to throw out the, the, the blanket of grace 
and mercy. Who are you in your marriage? Are you the accuser or are you the merciful one? Who are you? And when you talk to other people, who are you? Who am I? Who am I? So, I'm, so my word to you today is, we are the church. We've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have our ups and we have our downs. But we are those that can stand firmly before the throne of mercy and grace and say, I'm forgiven. My sin has been washed, never to be remembered, because he's taken them and buried them in the, in the sea of forgetfulness. So I'm going to make an altar call, and I'm going to ask you to stand. And if, you, if, you're, if you're here with your spouse, you know, you know I, I want you to hold hands with your spouse. If you're here with your family, I want you to hold hands with your family. So if, you're, if, you're, if, your if your family's in the first floor, I'm, I'm going to invite you to come down and be with your mom. With your, with, your, with your family. If you don't, if we are your family, don't worry, we're your family. And I'm going to ask you, let's begin to pray a prayer of repentance. Because who of, who, who of us do not need mercy and grace? Who of us have never failed the Lord? Who of us can stand totally guiltless? We, we don't. Only because of Jesus. Only because of Jesus. I'm going to ask, I'm going to give you one more minute if you can come down to be with your family, with your mom, because I want to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask my husband to join me here in the platform. Pastor Abby, you join your husband on the platform. And just for a moment before the worship team comes up, I want you, we're, we're going to pray together because there's none of us here that don't need mercy. There's none of us here that have escaped but we have escaped the wrath of God because we receive mercy so if you're alone today go with a sister that's alone just make yourself because we're the family of God of the Lord we are so we're gonna pray father I thank you and I bow down low before you because your mercy is great and your blood is greater I thank you, Lord God, that you don't see us the way we see ourselves, but you see us through the lens of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, that when you see us, oh God, you see Jesus because of the blood. And I'm asking, oh God, and in any place of offense, in any place, God, that we have been sharp with one another, in any place, oh God, that we have said things or done things, oh Lord, Lord, we first ask you forgiveness, and then we ask one another forgiveness, oh God. We ask you today to give us the baptism, oh God, of love and give us the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, Lord, we don't, we don't want to sin anymore, Lord. We don't want to be closet Christians, Lord. We want to be Christians that are on fire and full of the power of the living God. So, Lord, I'm asking, Father God, roll out again mercy. Roll out the blood of Jesus. Roll out, oh God, those promises of who we are in Christ, oh God. Roll them out, Lord God. And let your people believe them. And let your people act upon them, oh God. Oh, remove the weight. Remove the guilt. Remove the that talk, oh God, that constantly badger the mind and remind them, oh Lord, of their sin because that's just the accuser and oh God, he accuses us day and night. So Father, in the name of Jesus, we bind up that voice against 
cleanse your people and let them know they've been washed and they've been liberated and they're free because of Jesus. So we thank you in the mighty name of Christ. Amen and amen and amen. And if you are not born again, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to make a, an appeal to come to accept Christ as your Savior. Because you see, tomorrow is not promised to anyone. First, he deals with the church. And then he has to deal with the world. You understand? So first, he has to deal with us. So if you are not born again, if you were to die tonight, where would your soul go? It won't go because you came to church, to heaven. It won't go because your mother and your father were pastors. Oh, where would you go if you stand tonight before the Father? So for that, we're going to make, it's called the born again experience. And if you want to become born again, we meet you at the altar. Pastor George will pray for you here at the altar. For anyone that wants the born again experience. Not the second generation of going to church goers. I mean people that actually have met Jesus. And will do what this woman did. Honor and worship the Father. that the highest king would welcome me I was lost but he brought me and know oh, his love for me yes his love thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon we pray it blesses and encourages your life 